This episode features descriptions of medical afflictions that some people may find disturbing. We advise caution for listeners under 13. In the summer of 2010, Zhang Ruofeng was on her way to the local market in Linlo, a small village in central China. Despite being 101 years old, Zhang steadily pushed her shopping cart through the sweltering heat. When she neared her destination, Zhang heard a child gasp in amazement. A young boy approached her, bashfully requesting an autograph. He told Zhang that he'd begged his parents to drive him 50 miles, hoping for the chance to spot her. In her earlier years, Zhang was mistaken for a famous movie star. Now, she was famous in her own right. She fought through the pain of her arthritis and lowered herself to the child's height. His eyes widened with wonder as Zhang nodded, granting him permission to touch her face. The boy's small fingers grazed Zhang's forehead as the old woman laughed with delight. Nearby, the boy's parents whispered to one another nervously, but Zhang was used to these quiet remarks. She knew how incredible it was to see a person with horns like a goat. When our bodies fail, we trust doctors to diagnose the problem. But medicine isn't always an exact science. Sometimes it's a guessing game with life-or-death stakes. This is Medical Mysteries, a podcast original. I'm Molly. And I'm Richard. Every Tuesday, we'll look at the strangest real-life medical cases in history and the experts who raced against the clock to solve them. As we follow these high-intensity stories, we'll explore medical research that might solve the puzzle. You can find episodes of Medical Mysteries and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Medical Mysteries for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Medical Mysteries in the search bar. This is our special one-part episode on cornu cutaneum, otherwise known as cutaneous horns. People with this rare skin condition develop animal-like protrusions on various parts of their bodies. These lesions take months, sometimes years to form, but they can be dangerous and sometimes extremely difficult to remove. This week, we'll look at the most famous cases of cutaneous horns throughout history. We'll follow doctors as they unravel the complicated origins of the disease and see if there's any hope for a cure. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like... What the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Cutaneous horns have been the fascination of doctors and showmen for centuries. The earliest descriptions came from a British pamphlet printed in 1588. It advertised a miraculous and monstrous woman with a horn of four inches long. The woman was an approximately 60-year-old Welsh widow named Margaret Griffith. 
Margaret was believed to have cursed herself 40 years prior after a fight with her husband, David. Margaret was a beautiful woman in a very small village. After a late night out, David accused her of committing adultery. Margaret vehemently denied it. She was so adamant that she allegedly swore to her husband, saying, May a horn grow on my head if I've been unfaithful. It appeared the universe held her to her word. Within months, a small, dark bump formed in the center of her forehead. At first, the lesion resembled a mole, and it itched terribly. A few years later, the bump grew as hard as bone. It curved downwards toward Margaret's face, distracting from her once idyllic features, a constant reminder of her transgression. Margaret repeatedly sought help from medical professionals, but medicine in the 16th century was nothing like it is today. University-trained physicians were rare and mainly serviced wealthy clients and nobility. Working-class people like Margaret went to barber surgeons instead. They were less expensive than physicians and more versatile. True to their name, barber surgeons cut hair, pulled teeth, and applied leeches for circulation and blood clots. Margaret likely visited dozens of these barber surgeons to see about the growth. They would have used saws, razor blades, and metal files to trim the dense bony horn protruding from her face. But no matter how much they cut away, it always grew back. After her husband died, 50-year-old Margaret resigned herself to living on an isolated farm in Wales. Here, she was far from prying eyes. That is, until she crossed paths with a wandering showman and he offered to turn her disfigurement into cash. The showman placed Margaret on display in London and charged admission to see her. For a few coins, anyone could get a close look at this marvelous oddity, a human with a horn like an animal. Margaret became quite the spectacle. The showman paraded her in front of packed auditoriums. She was proof of the consequences of living in sin. Even the Queen's Council allegedly came to mock her, but eventually, Margaret's fame was eclipsed by another. In 1570, seven-year-old Francois Trouvelu lived a carefree life in the French village of Firmi. That is, until the boy noticed a hard lump forming on top of his scalp. Within 10 years, the lesion evolved into a mottled yellow cone several inches long. Francois tried covering it with a hat, but nothing fit over his protruding horn. So he designed his own cap to disguise his deformity. But it was too late. When the other villagers discovered Francois's mutation, they feared the now 17-year-old boy. They believed he was either a sorcerer or the victim of witchcraft. The townsfolk called him a monster and banished him from the village for life. For years, Francois lived alone in the forest, hunting wildlife and digging for coal to stay warm. Meanwhile, he kept his head wrapped in cloth, fearful he'd be spotted or possibly killed. Francois eventually became a fur trader, but he avoided unnecessary human contact. Falling in love was out of the question, and he constantly wondered what he had done to be so cursed by God. In 1598, the 35-year-old Francois had a change of fate. 
He and several other fur traders were negotiating out in the Ardennes forest, where a group of noblemen stumbled upon their gathering. Francois's companions removed their hats as a sign of respect, but Francois politely refused. One of these aristocrats, a man named Monsieur de Lavardin, grew enraged with Francois. He ripped his unusually shaped hat from his head and cried out in horror. Francois's horn was about six inches long. It curved out of his forehead, backwards toward his scalp. After seeing Laverdan's reaction, Francois feared he'd be killed by the group of huntsmen. But Laverdan turned this encounter into a savvy business opportunity, offering Francois to return to Paris with him. Upon arriving in the city, Laverdan brought Francois to the royal court. He presented the horned man to King Henry IV. Henry was so impressed with Laverdan's discovery that he permitted him to exhibit Francois before all of Paris. For two months, physicians, scientists, and civilians paid good money to meet Francois, the human oddity. At first, Francois was happy to answer their questions, but he drew the line when a doctor asked to examine his teeth. The humiliation had gone too far. Over the next several months, Francois grew despondent and depressed. He refused new clothes, food, and female companionship. A year later, in 1599, Francois passed away. His cause of death remains unclear, yet one account says he died of a broken heart. Even after Francois's passing, Laverdin continued to sell pamphlets about him. This literature included images of Francois, along with his life story. They were dispersed widely amongst the medical community. And in 1642, 43 years after Francois's death, an account of his life caught the attention of Danish anatomist Thomas Bartolin. Dr. Bartolin was barely 26 years old, yet he was eager to live up to his father's reputation as a medical scholar. In particular, Bartolin had a fascination with the horns of animals, and he even wrote an entire publication on the history and anatomy of unicorns. So when Bartolin heard of a human with a horn, he had to see it for himself. In 1646, Bartolin traveled to northern Holland where he met with a woman named Margareta Miners. She was a 70-year-old peasant with a horn growing from her temple. In Bartolin's illustration of Margareta, her protrusion was 12 inches long and curved sideways around her head. Bartolin listened to Margareta's story with curiosity. 20 years earlier, her son had allegedly died, leaving Margareta overcome with grief. Her horns started growing soon after. Now, she believed she was somehow responsible for her son's death, that the horn was a divine punishment. Dr. Bartolin was sympathetic, but he didn't share this supernatural belief. Unlike many other doctors at the time, Bartolin was a man of science, not easily swayed by superstition. He was confident there was a biological reason for human horns, and he was determined to find it. Bartolin discovered that the base of Margareta's horn was red and itchy, but more importantly, it had emerged from a mass of flesh resembling a tumor. As a doctor, Bartolin had seen hundreds of tumors, but never had he heard of one growing a horn. And unfortunately, 
Margareta's horn was too big for him to confidently remove. Dr. Bartolin feared that it might leave a gaping hole, one too large for the body to heal naturally, and this could result in deadly infection. Instead, it's more likely he gave Margareta a balm to relieve the itching and sent her on her way. Over the next few decades, Bartolin searched for other horn patients hoping to find a cure. He did meet one patient, a nun with a small horn, who had her lesion surgically removed. Months after the procedure, her horn grew back, but her doctor removed it again, this time burning the tumor with a red-hot iron, sealing her wound shut. Apparently, the protrusion never returned. This only perplexed Dr. Bertolin further. He couldn't explain what caused the horns or why they grew back. And while the nun's case convinced him that fire could be an effective treatment, he wasn't sure what to make of it. Meanwhile, European medicine remained a mixture of religion, folklore, and ancient Greek philosophy. Since Bartolin could not identify a concrete cause, his work was conflated by scholars who felt supernatural curses were the most logical origin. In the late 18th century, the cobwebs of superstition cleared. Finally, people were ready to accept a biological explanation. And in 1791, the British surgeon Dr. Everard Holm pioneered these efforts. He examined two women displaying their horns at a London exhibition. Dr. Holm carefully tracked their horns as they increased in size. Like Bartolin, he also found that the subject's growths came from tumors, or rather, encysted tumors. A cyst is a pocket of tissue filled with air or fluid. They can occur for many reasons, such as a blocked sweat gland or hair follicle. An encysted tumor occurs when an abnormal growth forms inside those cysts. In 1792, Holm revealed his discovery in his paper, Observations on Certain Horny Excrescences of the Human Body. He wrote that these cysts grew for several years and then burst. In the week following, they discharged a foul-smelling yellow liquid. When the leaking stopped, the cysts flattened, leaving behind bumps of hard, reddish skin. Those bumps grew in size, eventually developing into one or more cutaneous horns. For the first few months, the horn was flexible like an earlobe. But two years later, it was as tough as wood. Holm was certain he'd found the biological cause of human horns. But it turned out the truth was far stranger than anything he could have expected. Coming up, Cornu cutaneum occurs after an innocuous-seeming injury. Hi, listeners. I'm so excited to introduce you to the newest Spotify original from Parcast called Blind Dating. Hosted by YouTuber Tara Michelle, Blind Dating is a fun twist on a classic setup. Strangers are introduced, conversation commences, and sparks either fly or fizzle. But here's the catch. Our hopeful singles have to choose their match before ever seeing their face. And once they've picked their potential date, we turn the cameras on. And it's either butterflies or goodbyes. Blind Dating airs weekly with new episodes every Wednesday. You can find and follow Blind Dating free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. 
And now, back to the story. In the late 1700s, Dr. Everard Holm was certain he'd found the origin of cutaneous horns. He discovered that many of these cases stemmed from encysted tumors on the surface of the skin. But this wasn't the case for everyone. In more recent decades, it's become apparent that cutaneous horns have a variety of origins. Take, for example, the case of 87-year-old Liang Zhuzhen. Liang was a resident of the Sichuan province in southwestern China. Around 2008, she began to develop what eventually turned into a small, football-sized horn on her head. The media dubbed her the Unicorn Woman. Except Liang's horn sprouted from something more innocuous than a tumor. Hers came from a mole-like growth. Liang was just one of many people who developed horns from unexpected origins. One of the most striking cases of cutaneous horns came from a man who received a small bump on the head. In late 2014, 69-year-old Indian farmer Sham Lal Yadav reportedly fell and hit his head. When he looked in the mirror, he saw a nasty bruise on his scalp, but it didn't appear too serious. In the following weeks, the swelling seemed to go away. Over time, Sham forgot about the accident entirely. Months later, a lump on Sham's scalp became more prominent. It itched terribly, turned dark brown, and began to grow in size. By the following year, the scar on Sham's forehead had grown almost a centimeter in height. It was flat on top, resembling a sawed-off tree trunk, and it even had the texture of smooth wood. Sham considered visiting a hospital, but ultimately, he didn't want to go to all the trouble. Since there was no feeling in his horn, his barber was able to trim it down with scissors. But no matter how much Sham filed it, the growth kept getting bigger. It began to take over his life as he was too embarrassed to go out in public. Eventually, Sham finally decided to pay a visit to the local government hospital in Sagar, India. When he walked through the doors, Sham must have been welcomed with stares and whispers, just as he'd feared. But he waited patiently while physicians analyzed and took measurements of his horn. Unfortunately, doctors informed Sham that they were unable to remove the growth. We aren't entirely sure why Sham's doctors avoided surgery, but they may have feared that the horn extended downwards into Sham's skull. If that were true, they'd potentially be risking brain damage by operating. It's not unheard of for horns to cause additional complications, especially when they grow in sensitive locations. They can obstruct someone's vision or clog airways. In one report, an 82-year-old man had a horn forming inside of his nostril. It became so cumbersome that he had significant trouble breathing through his nose. Sham wasn't experiencing these complications, but the emotional turmoil was enough. He knew that if he wanted to return to a normal life, he had to have the horn removed. So he decided to get a second opinion, then a third. Sham traveled hours to hospitals in cities like Bhopal and Nagpur. Each time, he got the same hopeless answers. Finally, in 2019, he visited the private clinic of Dr. Vishal Gajabia, a local surgeon. By now, it had been five years since Sham hit his head. 
His growth was about two inches wide and four inches long, and it had also split down the middle like a rotted tree trunk. Dr. Gajbia was the first to perform a computerized tomography, or CT scan, on Sham. This allowed him to examine the bones and tissues in Sham's head. Gajbia also confirmed that the horn was not attached to Sham's skull. Then, Dr. Gajbia consulted with top neurosurgeons at Bhagyade Tirth Hospital in Sagar, India. Together, they drew up a plan of attack and scheduled Sham for an operation later that week. Surrounded by fellow surgeons, Dr. Gajbia took a scalpel and cut away the horn, along with the skin surrounding it. He believed that the cells producing Sham's horn also had to be removed. Otherwise, it could grow back. The horn was so large it required part of Sham's scalp to be removed with it. Dr. Gajbia then used a skin graft or transplant to reseal the location on the forehead. When Sham woke, his horn was gone for good. But how it got there in the first place remained a mystery. Somehow, the physical trauma of Sham's head injury had been enough to create a horn. But it was clear that cutaneous horns could grow from tumors as well. And yet, there was a third origin for these horns, viral infections. In recent years, doctors have discovered that cutaneous horns may be linked to human papillomavirus, or HPV. HPV disrupts the natural life cycle of cells, sometimes triggering the growth of small, raised skin bumps called warts. In 1979, a study done in the Southern Medical Journal revealed that wart-like spots were often detected at the base of cutaneous horns. Still, about 14 million people in the United States alone are infected with HPV each year, a pretty large number. And among these cases, cutaneous horns are extremely rare. Unfortunately, a 68-year-old man in Germany was one of those rare instances. An account of his case was first published in March 2011. According to study authors Michael Max Zaxa, Jürgen Schmoll, and Gunnar Wagner, their patient lived with a wart for 10 years before it escalated into a box-shaped growth. Within nine months, it was over an inch tall. Unlike those whose horns came from tumors or injuries, Patients with HPV-induced horns often have more than one, likely because the virus is infectious and spreads from one part of the body to another, and warts can grow anywhere from the genitals to the mouth and hands. In 2017, a man named Mahmoud Taluli visited the Hadassah Medical Center in Jerusalem. The 42-year-old Palestinian kept his hands covered in a cloth as he waited for the hospital's head microvascular surgeon, Dr. Michael Chernovsky. Nervously, Mahmoud unwrapped the cloth to reveal his hands. They were covered with hundreds of small cutaneous horns. It looked like gray and white barnacles growing on his skin. Mahmoud suffered from epidermodysplasia verusiformis, nicknamed tree man syndrome by the media. Only 600 people are diagnosed with this disease each year. According to the National Institutes of Health, tree man syndrome is an inherited condition associated with chronic HPV infection, and patients can develop hundreds or even thousands of warts all over their bodies. Unfortunately for Mahmoud, 
Many of his warts also developed into these cutaneous horns. When Mahmoud met with Dr. Chernovsky, it had been more than a decade since he was able to freely touch his wife's cheek or play with his kids. His hands were constantly irritated, and he was afraid of being seen in public. Mahmoud told Dr. Chernovsky that this hospital was his last stop. He had visited doctors all over Egypt and Jordan. Some even recommended amputating his hands. But Mahmoud knew there had to be a better solution. He begged Chernovsky for a miracle. Dr. Chernovsky assembled a team of surgeons, orthopedists, and neurologists. They subjected Mahmoud to dozens of blood tests, x-rays, and CAT scans, trying to get a map of where each growth was and how deep they went. Then, in a grueling, multi-hour surgery, Chernovsky and his team removed thousands of lesions from all over Mahmoud's body. They stripped all the skin from his hands and grafted it with skin from other locations. Unfortunately, Mahmoud's lesions were infectious, and Dr. Chernovsky hadn't gotten them all. Several months after he was discharged, Mahmoud returned to Chernovsky with fresh growths. The virus had even spread to new areas of his body. Dr. Chernovsky operated on Mahmoud four more times over the next two years. He was determined to remove every last lesion from Mahmoud's body to prevent it from spreading further. Eventually, Chernovsky's work was successful. Mahmoud was able to hold his wife's hand again. He could finally hug his children. In 2019, Mahmoud told an interviewer, after years of suffering and solitude, I can finally live a normal life. Except the battle was not over for Mahmoud. There was no cure for his genetic mutation and his HPV couldn't be eradicated with drugs. When the infection flared up, his lesions returned. He would spend the rest of his life trying to tackle the virus and its heartbreaking symptoms. Mahmoud was an extraordinary case, but he and all the others living with cutaneous horns faced the same emotional turmoil, the same uncomfortable stares and whispers, and surgery only seemed to work temporarily. A permanent fix felt like a distant hope. Not to mention, the origins of cutaneous horns ran the gamut. Margaretas came from a tumor, Shams from a bump on the head, Mahmoud's from a rare genetic mutation. Biologically, these patients appeared to have nothing in common except their horns. But a connection was there, lying just beneath the surface of the skin. Coming up, we'll take a closer look at what cutaneous horns are made of. Now, back to the story. Cutaneous horns can arise from a number of seemingly unrelated conditions, warts, injuries, and encysted tumors, to name a few. Despite what triggered a person's horns, they all seem to be made of the same thing. Back in 1791, Dr. Everard Holm was preoccupied with the link between horns and encysted tumors. He also discovered that some tumors produced tufts of hair. This was common in the animal kingdom as well, specifically sheep who displayed fragments of wool inside of their tumors. Through this connection, Holm came to another breathtaking revelation. 
he found that human horns grew in the same way that rhinoceros horns did. Rhinos are unique in the animal kingdom because their horns aren't attached to the skull. Instead, they grow directly out of the skin, just like the growths in Holmes' patients. Based on these observations, Holmes noticed that sheep's wool, rhino horns, and human hair were all made of the same substance, a complex molecule known as keratin. Keratin is a tough, fibrous protein that's produced in bulk by your skin cells. In addition to creating your hair and nails, it plays a vital role in protecting your skin. And our skin is broken up into three layers. The bottom layer is made of fat and acts as a shock absorber when you bump into things. The middle layer, called the dermis, contains nerves, blood vessels, and sweat glands, meant to cool down and transfer signals to the rest of your body. The top layer, called the epidermis, is your shield against the outside world. The epidermis is the first line of defense against injury. Cells in this layer fill up with keratin. They infuse together and die, forming a thick barrier between you and your environment. It's the reason why you don't bleed every time you scratch. These keratin-stuffed cells are like a wall of bricks that keep rising. Every second, dead skin cells fall off of your body and are replaced by new ones underneath. This wall of keratin helps to keep bacteria out of your body and keep water in. But occasionally, this cell-building system can break down. For example, the skin tumors Dr. Holm examined were churning out new bricks faster than his patients could shed them. The dead cells then fused together, cementing themselves into those cutaneous horns. This composition of dead cells explained why many of these patients couldn't feel anything when they filed their lesions down. It was similar to clipping their fingernails. The excessive growth of these cells also appeared to create the tumors in the first place, at least in Dr. Holmes' patients. A study published in the British Journal of Dermatology in May 1991 made further connections between cancer and cutaneous horns. Researchers took skin cells from 643 cornucutanium throughout a 20-year period. Then, they analyzed the cells under a microscope and found that more than a third of their samples showed telltale signs of premalignant or malignant changes. But more importantly, most people with these horns bore markings of extreme sun damage called actinic keratosis. According to the Mayo Clinic, actinic keratosis is a rough, scaly patch on the skin that forms after years of sun exposure. Ultraviolet radiation in sunlight causes the mutations in these cells. Essentially, the sun bakes them at a very high temperature. The resulting damage is a small, keratin-rich tumor. The more sun exposure a person has, the more likely these tumors are to develop. In about 10% of patients, these tumors progress to squamous cell carcinoma, one of the most common forms of skin cancer. But sometimes, those damaged cells keep growing into cutaneous horns. This could explain why cornucutanium patients tend to be older. That 1991 study also examined variables such as age, sex, and horn location. They found that most patients developed the disease between the ages of 60 and 70. 
Their horns were mainly on body parts exposed to the sun. Skin tone may also play a role. People with darker pigmentation have more melanin, which absorbs UV radiation, protecting their skin. Additionally, there is some evidence that people with light skin are also more at risk for cutaneous horns. Doctors also found that while about half of their patients were women, men with horns were more likely to have malignant cancers. But the medical field still isn't sure why the horns seem to be more cancerous in men. Luckily, science is searching for new and innovative ways to remove these sometimes cancerous horns. One procedure, called Mohs Micrographic Surgery, has proven to be rather effective. According to the Mayo Clinic, Mohs surgery involves cutting away the skin in stages. Doctors cut farther and farther from the lesion each time until the cancer cells no longer remain. Once the horn and cancer are gone, doctors and patients can choose to fill in the cavity with a skin graft taken from another part of the body, just like we saw with Mahmoud's case. If the cancer spreads, an oncologist may prescribe other treatments such as radiation or chemotherapy. These therapies will vary depending on the type of cancer. However, the ultimate goal is always the same. Destroy the cancer cells and cause as little damage to the rest of the body as possible. Scientists are also developing groundbreaking new vaccines that can prevent cancer without the use of chemotherapy. These inoculations are designed to trick the patient's immune system, treating cancer like an invasive bacteria. Other tools like nanomachines could deliver chemotherapeutic medications directly to those cancer cells, leaving the patient's healthy tissues unharmed. Many of these technologies are still in their infancy, but the hope is that one day they will help cure the underlying conditions that lead to cutaneous horns before they even begin. In today's society, most horns are spotted and treated quickly. So it's rare for a doctor to see a lesion more than a few millimeters long. The more extreme cases, like Jean Ruafong and Sham Lal Yadav, happen in underdeveloped locations where access to proper healthcare is limited and expensive. But while doctors may have a better understanding of how cornucutaneum connects to skin cancer and tumors, there's still a lot they don't know about those lesions. For example, how did someone like Sham, with no history of warts or cancer, suddenly end up with a horn growing from his head? Injury-related cases like Sham's are rare, but not unheard of. One report claims a man developed a genital horn after circumcision. Another woman was afflicted after repeatedly burning her thighs. It's possible these horns arise whenever the body's healthy response to injury malfunctions. Think of it like a car crash. After the accident is over, your body dispatches immune system cells to the affected area. These cells are like a cleanup crew there to sweep the bits of glass and metal from the road. If the road is damaged, the crew alerts the city to come lay down fresh asphalt. However, it's possible for the cleanup crew to keep asking for more and more asphalt, even after the road has been repaired, and they keep receiving it. Essentially, your cells are adding more and more tissue to repair the damage to your body, and they don't know when to stop. And there is scientific evidence to support this theory. 
Although it's extremely rare, traumatic injuries have been known to cause tumors. For example, doctors at Tel Aviv University reported on a 22-year-old man who was shot three times in the stomach and once in the right calf and right ankle. Nine years later, the patient developed a cancerous tumor at the site of his former calf injury. Repeat injuries are also more likely to cause cancer, mainly because there are more opportunities for the repair process to go awry. It's in these scenarios that our bodies develop more keratin to protect the outer surface of the skin from additional trauma. It's the same kind of thing that happens with guitar players. Coarse strings often bruise a person's fingertips at first, but the more they play, the rougher the fingertips get by forming calluses. Calluses are a healthy reaction where the body limits its keratin growth. But in patients with an unhealthy reaction, this response shifts into overdrive, potentially causing a horn to emerge. Right now, this is only a theory. Science has yet to confirm if there really is a link between horns and injury, but it's a good start. And ultimately, it does seem that cutaneous horns may be more of a symptom than a disease themselves. They may be just another of our body's warning signs, proof that something has disrupted the delicate ecosystem below the surface of the skin. In the meantime, there's still no concrete statistic as to how often horns arise. But Dr. Ross Perry of Cosmetic Skin Clinic in the UK asserts that hospitals see four or five patients a month with the early stages of a horn. That's a substantial number of people. But for now, cornocutaneum remains another unsolved medical marvel, a phenomenon that shows just how complex the human body truly is. Thanks for listening to Medical Mysteries. For more information about the history of cutaneous horns, we found Jan Bondison's book, The Two-Headed Boy and Other Medical Marvels, to be extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Medical Mysteries and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite podcast originals like Medical Mysteries for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Medical Mysteries on Spotify, just open the app, tap Browse, and type Medical Mysteries in the search bar. We'll see you next time. Medical Mysteries was created by Max Cutler and is a Parcast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound design by Mike Ramos, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Bruce Katovich. This episode of Medical Mysteries was written by Xander Bernstein, with writing assistance by Allie Wicker and stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rosner. And Parcasters, be sure to follow the newest Spotify original from Parcast, Blind Dating. It's a fun twist on a classic setup where hopeful singles choose their match based on personality, not looks. That is, until the very end. Search Blind Dating and follow free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.